0: Life on the Edge is sponsored by Trust for London and is brought to you by Ice and Fire, the UK's leading human rights theatre company. You always think,
1: oh, it's going to be us. It'll be the three of us against the world kind of thing. You know, I used to think that Oliver's dad was going to be the man I was going to marry, you know, and it just goes to show that things can change but it doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're any less of a person you know I think single mums get such a bad rep and they're just normal people where things have not gone to plan that that's all it is
0: welcome to life on the edge the podcast where we share with you the hidden struggles of ordinary people I'm Christine Bacon When my partner and I became parents for the first time, and then for the second time, we both have a vivid memory of thinking, I honestly don't know how single parents do this, and subsequently having a newfound admiration and awe for people who find themselves single and responsible for a child or children. Apart from the responsibility and the emotional strain being a parent often entails, there are the obvious financial implications. For those in single-parent families, the likelihood of living in poverty is twice as high as those in couple-parent families. Along with that are the all-pervasive stereotypes. Single parents in the public imagination are often pictured as young women who have failed at life, get pregnant as a career choice, and subsequently live off the state. What the statistics tell us, though, is a different story. The average age of a single parent is 38, less than 2% are teenagers, and almost 70% of single parents are in work, for most of those who aren't in work, it's because childcare costs prevent them from balancing the household budget. One in four families are single parent households. In London, because of the different makeup of the population, around a third of families with children are in single parent households. That's a lot of families. I teamed up with the charity Gingerbread, which provides information and support to single parents, to speak to four single parents living in London about their experiences. One thing that all four of my interviewees agreed with strongly was that they felt misunderstood.
2: People who may be in relationships who sometimes think that it might be easier for a single parent because you get loads of benefits. Sometimes, you know, you hear comments like that sometimes. from my GP by one of my
3: employers who, you know, was like, oh, you're earning a good wage. Um, like you've got flexible working. It's almost like they think you owe them because you've got flexible working which is very annoying. <laughs> I don't take my lunch break. I have 15 minutes in front of the computer whilst I'm working. I'm able to make it by 6 o'clock to pick her up from after school, and I drop her to school every morning.
1: I think the majority of society I feel misunderstood by because, you know, you get, obviously, people that are understanding and supportive of you. Of course you do, because there are other people possibly like you, yourself, you know. It's, it's really strange, but I think you're looked at as, Something that's bad. Yeah, it's sort of, it's always puzzled me because especially if you're out there working and you're doing all what society tells you is the correct things to do, yet you're looked badly upon because there's not a man in the picture.
0: The comment you just heard is from Stephanie, a 30-year-old mother of one who lives in south-east London. Stephanie and I met in a park near where she lives. Stephanie's parents had a volatile relationship when she was growing up. Uh, still, to this day remember, like, sitting in bed with my, like, Lion King
1: cassette, turning the volume up to try and drown out the shouting and screaming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and you think it's, it was so, like, long ago, you know, think when the Lion King came out, you know, when it was popular, you know, this was, like, years and years ago. Um, but to still, at 30, have that memory mm-hmm. in your head. So when people say, you know, you forget things you don't, there's things that really, you know, stay. I just remember just sort of, like, curling up in bed and just wanting it to stop because they were like downstairs and I Mm. could hear them and it was just you know it's not things that children should have to sort of go through Mm. really to be honest you know I remember times when like he sort of beat her up when she was in the bath and she was sick everywhere you know and Yeah, it was pretty horrific at times. Um, You know, he'd get me in, like, headlocks and hit me in the head and that. And, you know, sometimes I even joke, that's probably why, because I didn't have my first epileptic seizure till I was about 14. (laughs) At the hospital, they kept saying, oh, that's quite late. You know, it usually shows signs when people are a lot younger. And I always used to, like, joke to myself and be like, oh, it's probably being hit in the head. Because when I got scans for my epilepsy, I've got, like,
0: damage to the left side of my brain. Despite a difficult home life, Stephanie did really well at school and went on to university to study graphic and digital design. I love seeing like visual things, visual beauty in the world and you know,
1: things that just sort of like, you know, stick out to you, you know. Even like I mean, I know today I'm not very like jazzy, but people will see me at work and be like, Oh Steph, you look like you're gonna go out and I'm like, Well, I never go out. So I might as well wear something nice to the office. just like to try and, you know, be a bit jazzy, a bit different. You know, I sort of roll into work sometimes in, like, big red tutu skirts, you know, and, like, a green sparkly top. You know, only from Warehouse and H&M, but I will sometimes pick the most quirkiest things from one of those stores. She
0: met the father of her child when she was 18. <laughs> this is going to be a funny little tale. Um, job centre, yes. We were both
1: there and I sort of like saw him and I found him really attractive. And I never do this, so I don't know what made me do it, but I had to go over and ask for his number. So yeah, and I never approach people because
0: I always think, no, they won't be interested, but for some reason, I just did it. The relationship started soon after and that led to Nellie's seven years together. At 23, she was finishing university and she became pregnant. Although she thought she never really wanted children... She was excited, they both were, and her boyfriend was really supportive throughout the pregnancy. He started working full-time. After the baby was born, they moved to their own place, and that's when things started to change. Wanted, wanted my
1: son to sort of be... Asleep when he got up for work. Um, He wanted him to be asleep when he got in from work. If he was awake, I'd get moaned at and, you know, sort of, he would say to me, oh, have you been giving him naps throughout the day? Why is he awake? You know, he should be asleep. You know, what have you been doing? Sometimes I'd make dinners for when he got in from work and he'd moan about them. He wanted the house to be tidied. He wanted um, his clothes ironed for work, you know, while I'm trying to care for a newborn. The problems are taking over. I tried to sort of um, end it a couple of times, but you know, obviously, I know he didn't want it to happen. You know, he would sort of be on the floor crying, begging me not to. So, even though you know it's over in your heart because you can't bear to see someone in that state, you kind of say, "Oh, okay, we'll give it another go," but you know it's already mm. dead. It just it, it felt really hard because I was still relatively young in a way, you know, and I just didn't really know how to handle it. In my head, I thought we kind of would be at a stage where if we just knew it won't work and we could just walk away.
0: Their son was two years old when the relationship eventually came to an end. And even though Stephanie knew this was on the cards, when it finally happened, it hit her hard. Like many single parents, finances became the top tier concern. I'd say money,
1: um, because obviously I was getting assistance, he was sort of working, but we were like paying everything sort of half and half. And then all of a sudden, you're not paying things half and half, you're paying it all yourself.
0: And you're only relying on the little bit of money you get. The child's father gave a small contribution for a while, which went up slightly after she went to the child maintenance service for help. But that stopped recently when he moved abroad and now pays nothing. She was told that she would need to track him down and go to court if she wanted to get any money from him. When the relationship ended, she needed to find work. She did a lot of temping, short-term fixed jobs. Luckily, her mum was around to help. When her son was almost ready to start school, she got a permanent job. She was working with the company for almost two years when she made a complaint to HR about her manager and was made redundant five days later. She managed to find another job as an office manager in a PR firm, but she still had bills to pay and there would be no income for that first month of work. She asked everywhere, all the charities, but she was told no help was available in her situation. She asked her new employer for an advance payment, but they said no. You know, it's
1: all like push, shove, right, you're in a job now, but we're going to leave you. And you need to sort of figure out what you're going to do. And if you're a single parent, that's very scary. I was sort of like panicking. And my mum's like, tell me, oh, you know, calm down, stop stressing. But I was like, well, what am I going to do my landlord if I can't pay him? I'm 700 pounds short.
0: You know? And there's nowhere to go. Yeah. So you eventually found somewhere though, which was...
1: After Lifeline, and you know, that's only because I had previously worked in in travel, and uh, some of the companies that my company owned, like the brands, were after brands. And, I mean, if it wasn't for them, I have no idea what I'd do. So, after Lifeline, you know, they were such a a savior for me, you know, because you know, it wasn't just covering my rent, they gave me, um, yeah, 200 pounds
0: worth of Tesco food vouchers, you know, so that was just, um, it was, was amazing, yeah. you know. Stephanie now earns an annual salary of £24,000. After rent for her one-bedroom flat, bills and travel card are all accounted for, that leaves her, she says, with about £50 per month. She's had a year-long battle with HMRC about her entitlement to working tax credit.
1: I got my working tax stopped because I went up to 24000 I don't think 24000 is enough to warrant a stop of working tax credit. When I have fifty pounds to get me through till next mm. payday,
0: when you're a single parent, yeah. yeah.
1: I think they need to do more means-tested to see how much rent you pay. Individual, you know, mm. they need to do it on an individual basis, not class everyone as the same. With that gone, and getting no money from my son's dad, is hit me hard. So, what do you miss out on? Well, me and my son used to go horse riding, so that's the main thing. But that's what we used to do, as a little bonding and enjoyment. And we used to go for a meal, you know, once a month when I got paid. But now I have to sort of just rein them things back, you know. I mean, the only reason we went to Brighton the other weekend is um, I only had to buy his ticket, um, which was only £2 return, because someone was giving away um, a ticket in, in work, an adult's ticket. So I snapped that up straight away, and we went to Brighton, you know, but... It's. You know, I have to count your pennies.
0: I met with Sumi, research officer at Gingerbread, to talk about some of the themes my interviewees were raising. I asked her about what Gingerbread's clients were reporting around spending money on activities with children. And it's something that's come up a lot in our research around family
4: finances, around single parents' finances, um, because they're on such a tight um sort of tightrope financially um children's activity is often the first thing that they have to cut from their budget um because it's sort of you know it's not the essential costs of housing and food and, and utility bills um, but at the same time single parents really express very strongly how how difficult that decision is um, how they feel that understandably rightly feel that those sorts of activities are, are, are crucial and important for children's well-being in terms of widening their horizons and also just the sort of parent-child relationship like you're saying sort of just having fun mm. that's a part of that's part and parcel of that relationship and taking taking that out um, they know is sort of at a loss um, to their child and that's quite a hard thing to deal with and also you know as you say trying to sort of These days, trying to find activities which are sort of easy and accessible
0: is is, is always difficult um, at the best of times. At the end of the interview, Stephanie reflected on the life she is currently living. Her son stays with her mother during the week while she gets up at 5.30am to go to work and gets home each night at about 7 or 7.30. To sort of waste so much of a day,
1: I mean, like the travelling to and from, you know, work's great, but to waste so much of that and feel like you don't really have anything for yourself. I want to be able to enjoy life. I want to be able to experience the beauty of going to places, you know, I don't own a car, one, because I've got epilepsy and two, because they're expensive. Mm. But that means I have to rely on transport and traveling around is not cheap. You know, it's £11 return just to go to Orbiton. I was going to go to Orbiton because I like the charity shops there. And then when I went to Evergreen train station and I asked, they said, like, you know, £11. I was like, oh, I'll forget it. I'm not doing that. Yeah, just to go to Orbiton, which is not even that far away, really.
0: The next person I met was Emily. She is a 35-year-old mother of one who lives in West London and is a child of what she describes as very strict Ghanaian parents. I asked her how she dealt with the Catholic upbringing.
3: Oh, that was a nightmare. Um, I shouldn't really say that because if my mum listens back, she's going to kill me. She'll be like, oh my goodness, pray to the Sacred Heart now. You'll never be forgiven. That was quite interesting because although my mum, she's still um, quite a strict Catholic It was always, you know, marriage, it was always... I think the guilt thing was a massive thing, so exploring relationships and stuff like that. It was always, based on Christian foundation, I guess, it was always books before boys. In fact, I was a good girl. I was too scared of going to hell, A, and B, too scared of um, being shipped back to Ghana to sell tomatoes in the market, which was always a real threat, yeah. If you don't behave yourself, I will ship you to your grandmother. Okay, and I I did see some of my peers get sent back home, so it's like,
0: yeah, better toe the line. Her parents also encouraged strong work ethic from a young age.
3: I started working when I was 13 um, because my parents couldn't really afford it, but actually we had a really good grounding in um, financial management. My mum would almost buy us anything we wanted, but we wouldn't be able to access it until we paid her back. So those brand new LA gear trainers that were really cool with all the laces and, you know, it was like, mum, I love them. She'd get them for us. And then she'd be like, right, okay. every pound from your pocket money or money earned comes to me until you've finished paying and then you can wear your trainers. And so it was great because it made us really ambitious, determined and we saved. Um, but it wasn't good in, in another way because we then learnt that if we wanted anything, it was only us that could do it. Therefore, when we couldn't do it ourselves, then we felt like failures.
0: After going to an all-girls Catholic school, Emily then went to an inner-city college, which she describes as a real culture shock.
3: You know, introduced to just real social issues, you know, from knife crime, which is very prevalent today, but actually there were young people carrying knives when I was at college, and I'm 35 now cannabis. I never smoked, thank goodness, because every time I tried a cigarette, I felt like someone was strangling me and I thought it was like St. Anthony or something. So I was like, not for me, <laughs> but I got the greatest life lesson there. Um,
1: definitely. What, in what sense?
3: Just understanding the the, the dynamics between male, female, um, understanding different cultural practices and faiths, Understanding, you know, I, I, I live in a leafy suburb in London um, and I, you know, often used to go to Margate and Hearn Bay and for some of my inner city college peers. That was like, what the hell are you you know, that's weird. You're strange, you're unusual for a black woman, you're you're a black girl, you're you're weird. I started doing maths, economics, computing and psychology A level. Um, which within three months I changed to media, communications drama and English literature Do you know what happened there? Yes I do, my dad picked my subjects for me based on my GCSE grades and at that age I had no no rights to challenge um, what he was picking for me but then after three months I was like this is killing me, it's boring I hate it Um, so I changed my subjects without him knowing until
0: I got my grades back. And he was like, OK, which one is the accountant? I was like, "Uh, none of them. This is terrible. This led to her studying film and broadcasting at university. An oral history project she did while at uni with children in care led her to the world of youth work. And later she got a job as a youth offending officer, then a teenage pregnancy and sexual health advisor was thriving. Um, At the same
3: time, you know, met my daughter's dad, um, started a relationship, moved out of home, bought a shared ownership property, focused on work, career, work, career, developing the relationship, soon to have babies, hopefully one day. Um, And it was just going kind of in the way that my dad would have prescribed life to go, apart from the cohabiting bit, without marriage.
0: Emily describes meeting her daughter's father.
3: Really random, went out, um... A night out, met him at a bar. Um, the rule was, you know, as far as I was aware, you never have a, you never find a boyfriend in the pub or a bar. It's yeah. just this is just, a you know, a fling. It's not serious. But then we got to talking, identified that we had kind of similar. I thought at the time upbringings. Um, he lived in quite an affluent area, um, well educated. The school that I went to was in a neighbouring area. So, you know, my thing was always beliefs family and education. And, yeah, we just got on like a house on fire. At the time, it was, oh, my goodness, I found someone who gets me, who I understand too, and, like, who has the same ambition as me. They had their
0: arguments, like any couple. Normally about ambition. Um, So
3: where I came from, you worked hard. That was just, that was our ethic. That was the culture I'd adopted. Where he was from, he worked, but didn't really have a focus, didn't really know what he wanted to do and actually didn't need to work as hard as I did because, you know, mummy and daddy had friends in the golf club and at the rugby club who could just sort him out. I mean, I did go away um, five years into the relationship on one of these lone, you know, like eat, pray, love kind of holidays, Far East, had some counselling, did some meditation to really understand where I was going in life. I was doing... To my friends, I was just thriving. Uh, I, you know, I had the career, I had the man, I had the home or the asset, the investment. I was doing really, really well. But I just didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel happy or content.
0: Emily realised she wasn't happy in her job and decided when she returned, she would get back into media, radio, presenting, telling stories, her true passion. Then she fell pregnant. She had come off hormonal contraceptives as it was affecting her mood. It took me ages to get my cycle back. Like it was horrible,
3: horrible. Mm. Um, you know, mm. bleeding here and not bleeding for months, and it's I'm wearing white today. Is this a good idea? <laughs> I don't know. God help me. Yeah. So um I was happy and um, to come on contraception. Um, my daughter's dad at the time was like, yeah, whatever you want to do. And he he knew that I was sensible in terms of right, this woman wants to be a CEO or something. So I wasn't planning on just getting pregnant, but I did. And I was, I was overjoyed because one of my life's ambitions was to be a mom. So I was overjoyed, ecstatic. He was, um, and had my daughter who is the best thing that's ever happened. And we were happy. Um, it sounds really sad, but then I realized I had two kids. (laughs) I had my daughter's dad (laughs) and my daughter, So I had saved up to um, afford myself a year off. I'd never had any time off work since I was 13. I was 28. It was great. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not working. But I was working with my daughter, of course, taking her to this and taking her to that. And you were just enjoying life. yeah, Yeah, I was cooking, I was cleaning, and I could afford it. And then the thought of going back to work into a job that I hated and coming back to my daughter and doing it like cooking and cleaning up after both of them. And I was like, I just can't do this.
0: She told her boyfriend she didn't want to go back to work and she wanted to try to get onto a new career path. He continued to provide his share of the finances, but no more.
3: That was where the difficulty came. I'd never been in a relationship where I had someone who was giving. I'd always learnt to be able to self-sustain and support others what well, you do not really realizing that i wasn't getting that back so you know if there was a sofa to be had it was right right okay down to the penny this is our 50 each you know i think i could count on my hands the amount of times that i was treated to oh here's beyonce tickets or what have you sexy underwear for example is to your benefit more than it is mine like every now and again babe why don't you drop me some change that things like that never happened so uh, it was all at my expense okay right? from sexy stuff to boring formal shopping Right. let's go and get the food shop
0: Emily took voluntary redundancy and trained to become a Zumba instructor who could afford gym like why don't you teach it you know I love dancing anyway okay. always
3: always loved the arts always loved dancing and stuff and a done bits and pieces over the years. Um, So I taught Zumba um, and also um, became a consultant for the local authority that I worked for, first-time self-employed. Oh, my goodness, what a shock to the system. Always been an exceptional employee. (laughs) As for being the director of my own company, and every single time I went to my accountant, I was in tears before I got there, in tears when I was there, in tears when I left. It was just horrendous. And at the time, I was so busy doing the job, operational being delivery. I didn't have any real grasp of the strategic, the business planning, the right, the finance. I just didn't have that in order.
0: Things were not going to plan. Emily was getting more and more stressed. She started applying for jobs again, but no luck. She started to cut back on her spending.
3: I won't get my nails done. I won't eat out on a Friday night. That bottle of Sauvignon will soon turn into a Pinot, you know. (laughs) So it was, you know, I thought, right, I'll just cut where I need to cut.
0: She ended the relationship soon after this, after eight years together.
3: I don't know what happened. Well, I do know what happened, but because I was looking for jobs before I took voluntary redundancy, like I was putting applications in, I just wanted to have the continuity and be safe and secure. And I battered about 70 applications and nothing was coming my way. And I was so stressed and anxious. And I'd started teaching the Zumba as well, started the business. And um, one day he came, you know, I came in and, um, you know, it was late and he'd run the bath and sorted out my daughter. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's being really nice. Like, okay, this is lovely. And so I relaxed in this bath and he'd left his phone on the side and I discovered that he had, some woman had been liaising with him and, you know, was in love with him and all the rest of it. And I was like, are you kidding me? I haven't had time to see my best friends, some friends. Like, I haven't had time for anything because I'm working around the clock to bring it in. And you've got time to
0: meet new acquaintances who fall in love with you. What the hell is this? She lost it and told him to leave thinking... I'll get over it once I've cooled down. Um, So this
3: was someone who he was training and they ended up or she ended up being attracted to him. He said he didn't do anything. There's no skin off my nose now, but it wasn't even the infidelity or it was unclear. But for me, it was just the fact that I had been and always worked so hard to be the perfect wife, in inverted commas, um, mother, and never asked for anything. I wasn't getting anything that I couldn't give myself, and yet you're taking my self-esteem and confidence away with this rubbish. It was knee-jerk. I did not expect the relationship to be over. He didn't expect the relationship to, over, or to be over. It was just, you know, after a couple of days, he'd be calling me and I was talking and I was like, I actually don't want to talk to you at this moment in time. So me thinking it would be like a couple of days a week. After two weeks, is like, um, I'm coming home now. I'm like, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> I will call the police if you try and come back. And two weeks turned into two months. And it just, I realised, I don't want to be back in this relationship. Mm. And it was very hard for him to accept. And I completely <laughs> appreciate that because... We'd never broken up, and you, you know. Had a child as well, together. yeah. And yeah. in the grand scheme of things, he'd done worse in the past. than what the hell is your problem? You know, yeah. Is this a midlife crisis or something? And I couldn't even articulate it. My mom was like, mm. "Did he hit you?" And I was like, "No." What did he do then?
0: You know, it's like there was no. For all of us, really, there was no real reason. The relationship has been over for six years now, and Emily was clear from the start that her ex-partner would be a key part of her child's life. Maybe because of my early
3: experiences, um, I've always believed that where possible, children should know who they are. And the first place they understand that is the universe that create them, which is mother and father. I never, ever wanted to be the stereotype. The black woman, angry, single mother, bitter. No way. I didn't want that for my daughter be that resentful woman who makes her question her self-worth because she hates her, her dad. No, 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 no. That still remains something that I'm completely against. So he moved around a few times. And I would take my daughter to him. I'd allow them to have their bonding time. Even when she was really little, I was just, it's your time together. I'd facilitate that. I'd take her to her paternal grandparents' I was very welcoming of them being involved, not because I wanted to go out on the weekends and rave it up. But yeah, if I have to go to work, yeah, sure you can have her. And it continued like that for a while. In terms of his interpersonal communication and his you know, emotional relationship with her, I can't question that. It's exceptional, great, and that's what we want.
0: Her child's father was making a small financial contribution, which mostly went to nursery. But things started becoming strained for Emily financially. She was trying to stay afloat and manage, but her mum could see through the facade. She could see that I was hurting Mm. and in need.
3: And she'd ask, Everything okay? No, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. I just need to work. I just need time. I need time. Let me focus. Let me get on with it. When my mum was like, Right, I need to see what's going on with your banks and stuff and kind of put everything in front of her. And she was just like, Oh my God, (laughs) you need help. So she just started putting money into my account every month, Mm. which I felt even worse about because I felt like I was a failure. I wasn't raised to take money from my mum. I was raised to give money to my mum. I was also taking money away from my sisters and from my
0: brother. That's horrible. As well as the odd jobs she was doing to get by, Emily also started putting time and effort into getting back into her main love, which was media.
3: So I was working on a voluntary radio station every single Sunday. Not the kind of person to not plan beforehand, so it would take me a day to kind of get everything perfect, get the right interviewees, get the topic right, you know, get the social media campaign right. I put all my energy into this, and I was working for free doing that. The challenge then became childcare and shared care arrangements where I was working on a Sunday, my daughter's dad would have her. He didn't make things easy at all. He would be like, right, get her at 3pm. At 10 to 3, he's calling, he's texting, he's... I'm just like, I'm running from my studio now. My levels of anxiety thinking, I don't know what I thought would happen, but be a good mum. like Don't let him think that you're a bad mum.
0: At this point, co-parenting started to become a major issue. He's do things like
3: he had a new partner he'd go on holiday with this new partner um, and his family and then he um sent me a text message oh by the way just to let you know my girlfriend is out here with us on this holiday I'd lose it I'm here in the UK you've taken my daughter abroad with a woman that I've never met I didn't know you had a girlfriend you've texted me knowing that you're far and I can't do anything about it and then one time I just lost it his girlfriend had picked my daughter up from school i had called him to say look school fate i'm volunteering part of pta bring her down if you know you've got nothing better to do like be fun oh i'm not with her oh cool are you buying her christmas present or something oh, um where is she oh she's with and i was like where are you he like, Oh, he's like i'm at work I was like, okay where's our child oh my girlfriend picked her up you're who <laughs> shouldn't i have been the next person you call if you're at work um a b i don't know your girlfriend's surname c i don't know where you guys live i don't know where she's taken her like i am i just i went into a state of real hysteria i lost it it was just horrible and it's been horrible ever since um in fact now it's not as horrible because i just ignore him there's just been an this ongoing manipulation we got to a stage where i was just like i was working on the sunday so i thought this is not good enough i need to be able to spend some quality time with my daughter on a mm. weekend so i quit the radio job that i loved mm. and was like right let's do alternate weekends whatever and at the same time let's go to mediation let's just sort this out once and for all went to mediation i was having her alternate weekends or you know regularly on the weekends and still haven't earned the week which was fine by me I wasn't asking for money at that point bear in mind I hadn't had a penny in maintenance for four years or towards any holidays anything holiday club nothing I had nothing and I was like look you really should give me something 50 pound that's all I'm asking for 50 pound a month please to help me with her and he was like well I want money out the flat well A, I'm not selling the flat now, and B, I don't withdraw money from the bricks and the wall (laughs) to feed and clothe her every month.
0: They worked out an agreement where she would give him some money in five years when she was on her feet again, and he would give £50 a month maintenance. But he put off paying the money. I then put a proposal in front of him in terms of shared care arrangements, saying, look, I ask you for her on the weekend,
3: and you don't let me know if I can have her until, like, the
2: day before.
3: I can't plan anything there's always conditions about me having her and I can't function like this. I can't plan my life. And he was just like, well, weekends are mine. I was like, well, actually they're not, they don't belong to any of us. Um, If you want to go down that route, here's my formal suggestion. So my formal suggestion was, as um, is quite common, being that doctor's school, everything is, she's always ever known this home was home. Um, I was like, right, you can have a, a day in the week, an alternative, weekends, instead of the Thursday to Sunday that you've been having her. Well, that's a ridiculous reduction in my time. You're not having that. I'm not having that. OK, but you've not been having her. Your parents have been having her. Your girlfriend's been having her. And I just
0: want to be able to have my child, our child, on some weekends. Emily sought legal advice and is still pursuing an arrangement that would allow her some time on weekends with her daughter. However, legal costs have been steep. She'd taken out a loan to consolidate all her debts, which came to £15,000, and saved £3,000 to go to court. But in the end, discovered it would actually cost £9,000, all told. I thought I
3: was losing my mind. I actually thought I was going mad. I'm working really hard. I'm actually doing really well now in my career. Like, you know, I'm moving up. I'm, I'm getting the outcomes that I deserve because I put the work in. Yet in the background... I'm being pulled apart emotionally, but someone who I had a child with, someone who I've encouraged to be part of my child's life, rather than saying, you know what? I don't like you. You're not a nice person. You're not having access to our I didn't do any of that. Yeah, I feel like I'm being punished for ending a relationship that I wasn't happy in, or you know that I had decided wasn't right for me. Equally, I'm not getting any money from you. <laughs> I'm spending money on counseling. I can't remortgage because I'm not earning enough, but what I'm paying in my current mortgage rent because shared ownership property is more than what I would be paying if they allowed me to remortgage. It's like, what the hell? This is just crazy.
0: I asked Sumi from Gingerbread about some of the common mental health impacts of being a single parent. Research shows also that single parents are particularly at risk of um,
4: experiencing things like loneliness um, or social isolation. And and that can happen, you know, particularly in loneliness, that can happen even if you have networks, you can feel lonely within your own situation, particularly if perhaps you're the only person you know who is a single parent, and that can that can have its own effect.
0: Emily has paid for a lot of therapy over the
3: years. There should definitely be some counseling free good quality counselling available I've paid for it and I will continue when I, whenever I think I need it I will continue to pay for it because it's too important my daughter's too important I can't afford to lose my brain
0: their child is now seven years old and I asked how she was doing she loves both of us mm. um, in her little brain she'd love for us to live together and us to you had
3: to be really clear that's never going to happen mm. I, I don't love your dad yeah <laughs> I love
0: him for giving me you, but that's it. And so what she, can you talk about her? What's she like? Oh, she's
3: amazing. She's amazing. Um, she looks nothing like me. She looks everything like him. Her personality is very similar to mine, which is great. It's probably not going to be great when she's 13 or 16 and we have clashes because we're so alike. But um, she's very kind, very caring, very nurturing. I feel sorry for her, but she's kind of, developed like this real emotional intelligence and empathy which sometimes makes her a bit vulnerable i think because she just wants to make everyone happy she just wants peace she doesn't like conflict mm. so that's the only i mean it's a good trait yeah but i think it's just a shame that she's had to develop that because of her parents i just look at my daughter and i just feel overwhelmed with love my friends are fantastic yeah For some peculiar reason, they seem to think that I'm their role model because I've just continued. I I definitely agree with the saying that, you know, when someone throws bricks at you, you use them to build a wall or build a ladder or build a bridge, and every brick that's been thrown, I'm just like, right, okay, I'm a step on that, and I'm just going to elevate, elevate, elevate. So I guess they see that in some of the outcomes in my work, and I have to say that they've been impressive. (laughs) Yeah, they've just... You know, in my, in my brain, I'm so much further. That's all it is.
0: Now we're going to meet Sarah, a 39-year-old mother of one who lives in South London. She has raised her daughter, who is now 11, on her own. I had my child 2007 at the
2: age of 28. I had a child. I wasn't married, but I I raised her from birth, really. The father wasn't involved. There is a chance. I mean, you know, if she'd like to meet her dad, the option is there. He's in the Caribbean, actually. In the beginning, the door was open, um, and then the relationship broke down. And I've actually just gone on, you know, just got on autopilot, and I've just got on with it.
0: Sarah has worked throughout her daughter's life in various jobs. Last year, she found herself in a difficult situation.
2: Um, I was in a full-time job, which I found quite difficult to work at the weekends and bank holidays and the evenings, which the job required. And I started that job in June, June and you know, sort of July. And around about, around about that time is when I needed to be looking for summer clubs for my daughter. Um, and then you require a deposit and everything else so I you know I I was struggling anyway as a friend that works within a school setting that had the time off that kind of like helped for a couple of weeks but every week throughout the six weeks holiday was quite a struggle anyway to juggle childcare. so starting a new job plus having that struggle I kind of started off kind of it was quite difficult um, but I sort of got through that but then there was a build-up with regards to my housing benefit and um, and I couldn't. I didn't have the time to sort it out because I only had half an hour break at work. So there was a few, you know, there's a few things that I needed to sort out surrounding my housing benefit paperwork, and it just started to build up. Um, I wasn't able to sort that out, and um, I got quite stressed with it all. Um, and then, as I said, I was in a probationary period at work, and to, to be taking time off, it, you know, I just
0: felt kind of trapped. The full-time job Sarah was doing was only paying £16,000 a year, which meant, after bills and childcare, she was ending up in debt at the end of each month. I asked Sumi at Gingerbread about her thoughts on making jobs work for single parents.
4: This isn't just down to um, central government or job centres. This is also about the lack of um, suitable jobs for those who have other responsibilities. We know that there's a lot of chat about um, sort of sustainable work, about what good work looks like. And we say that if you can make the job market work for single parents, you can make it work for most people. So we want to see better quality part-time work, better quality flexible work, where we're talking about flexibility for the employee, not just the employer. So you know, in the, in the media, we hear stories about zero-hours contracts, for example, and, and the pressure that puts employees under. And there might be some people that those arrangements are suitable for, but where that isn't suitable, where you aren't guaranteed hours of work, where those sort of variable hours don't meet the childcare that's available locally, we need to have better solutions for people who, particularly for parents, where they've got caring responsibilities that they can't get out of.
0: Sarah decided what would work for her would be a part-time job. She found one as a carer for older people locally, which would eliminate the childcare issue, and she could pick up her daughter from school. She told the Job Centre and was told that was fine.
2: So I'd get my part-time job. I still, As a carer, I would still be getting my part-time money and then once a month I'd get this top-up via Universal Credits and it, it balanced out, it was working out. It was working, it was low, but I didn't have that stress. Yeah, I wasn't relying on anyone for childcare. Um, I could collect my daughter, pick her up. Yeah, you could manage your I life. I could manage my life yeah. and not have that stress. And I'm not a greedy person you know, just don't want to be stressed out. I'm a single parent. I just don't need that added stress. Quite happy to just have a little money come, collect my daughter and I can manage. You know, I think over the years you just, you
0: know, I don't mind going, sec- getting stuff from second second. I'm not, you know, I'm just don't want stress. Then nine months later, the Department for Work and Pensions contacted her and said her top up through universal credit was being cancelled because a sanction had been applied for 91 days. My heart sank. It's just mucked everything up
2: now, hasn't it? So I've got a low income from my care job. I've got no universal credits and I've got no way of paying those direct debits that I've chosen to come out on that day. 91 days sanction. A friend of mine helped me put a letter together um, asking why um, the sanction's been applied. Can we have a better understanding? Is there no way that the sanction can be spread out over a longer period of time. I mm. remember asking, um, you know, no medical note. You haven't asked for no medical evidence or anything. Like, how can that be fair that you just apply a sanction without any warning? And, yeah, I am a carer. I'm you know, I don't... I'm not bringing in much money for the month and how am I supposed to live? Sarah sent off her letter and waited. And then I think over a couple of weeks after sending it you know, I'd make calls nobody would risk nobody said that you know actually I was told that there isn't a set time for anyone to get back to me because that was part of my frustration like you've applied this sanction you know I've handed in a letter to ask for it to be looked at and how long will it take for me to get a response a proper response I was told the workload's high. There's no set time for you to get a response. You haven't got seven days or 21 days or anything like that. It's just as and when.
0: Six weeks later, she received a response,
2: but in the meantime, she had to survive. It was horrible. I don't even know. It's all a blur. What do you do? What can you do? You have to beg family and friends, lose your integrity for the basics and try and get your head around as to why a sanction's been applied because it's not been clear... You know you feel like you're talking to yourself because you put you you don't you can't call anyone as before you could maybe go to to the job center and physically speak to somebody now everything's done online. nobody responds to your journal for weeks on end and you call up the call center, but they tell you you know it's not to do with them it's to do with your case manager, but you get to understand that they're overloaded or they come across on the phone as though they're overloaded and it's just like a It's a system. The calls are just, the phone calls are just general phone calls. Anything to do with your case has to be dealt with by your case manager. But there's no way of you speaking directly to your case manager. So you just have to um, ask the person on the phone to leave another note on your journal to highlight that you've called in, even though you're leaving notes on your journal. You know, when can I get a response? When can I get a response? When can I
0: get a response? And nobody sort of like answers you. When Sarah did hear back... She was told the original decision still stood. It's just that like they're completely dismissive of my
2: circumstances. They've completely dismissed my circumstances. You're on sixteen thousand pounds. You're struggling with childcare costs anyway. You struggle even more when you have term times, breaks, Easter breaks, and summer breaks. You know, I was trying, but the my what I was earning at sixteen thousand was just, just really stressful. By me leaving that and then going into a care job. I got
0: a sanction because I haven't given a good enough reason for leaving my full time job. So, Sarah had to get by for three months on the small amount of money she was earning in her care job. She was forced to use food banks at one point. The effects of having a sanction for three months, you're
2: three months behind. So, it's this constant having to rebuild yourself up. Anyone who's not had payment for for three months.
0: They'll feel it. They'll
2: feel it. Yeah. And you got to you keep you're playing catch up, aren't you, all the yeah. time? Yeah. You've missed three months'
0: bills. Research carried out by Gingerbread found that single-parent households have been the hardest hit by tax and benefit reforms since the coalition government came to power in 2010. Sue me from Gingerbread again.
4: We are seeing similar situations to that, um, and it's one that's concerning because obviously government policy and the sort of drive is to encourage more people into work, which they say is the sort of route out of poverty, is the kind of government mantra. But what we're seeing is stories exactly like that, where full-time work isn't necessarily a possibility and work that does uh, allow you to juggle childcare responsibilities with earning is sort of either insecure or it's part-time or we have few opportunities to progress um, where you can eventually get to a sort of more stable better paid job the other side of that is that if you are on a low income and you bump down like that into sort of part-time work there's potentially increased pressure from the job centre under universal credit to, to then start looking for different work so either more hours or a lot or higher wages, which, as you found, isn't necessarily a possibility. So single parents, I think, will we'll see a sort of increasingly caught between the expectations from the government and what's feasible as a single parent in reality.
0: After 91 days, Sarah's benefits were reinstated, but, she says, most of the time the calculations are wrong.
2: Every month is a different amount because I'm, I owe money maybe for payments. They take The way they do the calculations is not clear every month is a different amount so you don't even know where you are from month to month mm. really family may give my daughter maybe some money and i'm having to now ask my daughter for money so, oh, can I borrow that and um she's she's quite hot on her calculations and she's able to tell me i owe 170 pounds which doesn't make me feel nice as a parent because i don't want her you know i'm going to have i have to get that back because i don't want it to be a thing of when she's uh, holding that to me as an adult,
0: remembering that. I asked Sarah if she had had any relationships since her daughter was born.
2: I mean, I've done it for 11 years as a single parent and I've not and had a problem with it at mm. all. You know, I've not had any boyfriends. This space in my home has been ours. Like, there's nobody stayed over that my, my, my daughter's witnessed. There's no confusion. I've tried to, you know, and I, you know, she's a, she's, a, she's a young lady as well. I don't want her to grow up in an environment where there's different people in and out of her life. No, I think it's just because you do so much on your own. It's like if anybody cannot if you don't feel as though anyone can enhance that in any way, then there's no point. Because I've we've been getting on with this system for a while. So yeah, we're not gonna allow you to come and change it up unnecessarily. But if you if you if you can make me see it in a way, no, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not completely shut down, you know, I'm only 39, 10, 39 last week. But I do get worried I'm approaching 40, like I don't know, like I don't know, maybe i have to up my game and maybe, I don't know, a lot of, you know, and I see some people who have been in long-term relationships and are not any happier than me. And does she ever take time out for herself? Quite a lot. I actually find going to the charity shops quite exciting. How sad <laughs> is that? My wage hasn't gone up. The same money that I was earning before she was born, I'm still earning. Well, not less. It'd be, it would be less anyway, wouldn't mm. it? Because I'm supporting two people. And she's growing and I'm still, I mean, my wage isn't doubled. So living singly, before I had her, I was earning a wage. It was, you know, getting by. I wasn't never on no high, you know. So if I haven't been earning more than, t- say, like 20000 just, just use that as a base. Having a child and earning less and still having to fork out for childcare and clothe her and feed her. It's it's It just seems like it's getting more tighter and the cost of living is going up anyway.
0: Now that her daughter is getting older, Sarah has started to plan ahead. I feel like I need to study
2: again. I'd like to get a bit of study. and None of the jobs I've had either have, you know, you know not trained you or anything.
0: Mm.
2: So I've got a degree and I don't feel like I'm utilising it. I've done that for three years with no-one around. Mm. I know that I'm capable, but I'm just always having to find jobs to work around my daughter.
0: Finally, I met with Chloe, a 40-year-old mother of one who lives in the East End of London. She grew up in what she calls a conventional two-parent, two-kid family. She went to a private school, and from a young age, she rebelled against her upbringing. I felt like I kind of lived in the white picket fence land. Really wanted, don't
5: know, some sort of deeper connection, something. Mm. I was a big into, like, the rave scene. We'd go out partying a lot, lots of dancing, going out with my friends. Did a lot of travelling post-university university kind of everyone was like go to Oxbridge but I was like no I don't want to do that went to Newcastle was like get far away from London as possible do something different at Newcastle University she did a degree in psychology and I tried to be a clinical psychologist but never quite got through like the whole interview process I did a lot of assistant psychology roles I've done a lot of work with like young offenders drug addicts mental health that kind of area then did some art therapy training, which I really loved. Like, that was amazing. I went to Brazil, I learned to drum. Somehow got into drama, was doing a bit of drama, then found the immediate theatre position, which was awesome. So it was like doing the kind of help
0: stuff, but also doing the creative stuff of the drama and storytelling and everything. It was really lovely. Later in life, while working with a theatre company, she met her son's dad. He was
5: working with us. He's a lot younger, he's 13 years younger than me, mm-hmm. so he's a lot younger than me. And I kind of knew that it probably wasn't the best of uh, ideas for my life to get involved with him. But, you know, these things... Happen. I've been single for a long time. I was in a really good place. Relationships and me typically haven't been great. I've kind of struggled. Do you know why that might be? Or Yeah, a lot of things linked to my childhood experiences, that kind of thing. Really wanting to kind of look after men, so going for these, like, kind of damaged men. He had lots of issues and wanting to help them, not being able to... And then not getting out of the relationship quickly as I should have done probably, you know, getting quite entangled. Okay. Finding it hard to be myself, I yeah. think. I feel actually I'm much stronger on my own. I feel, I find, I can be much happier on my own as well actually. Relationships taking out of
0: me. You're not worried about that other person
5: exactly. constantly. Yeah. yeah, totally. Not thinking what they're doing, where are they? You know, he's okay. got a very colourful past. I mean... I have two to a certain extent, but yeah, he's definitely, he has a lot of wounds, you know, childhood wounds and things. Mm. He's from the Caribbean. He has been here since 2006, I think. Yeah, he's had a uh, interesting upbringing. A lot of his family are here now. His mum's here, although he didn't grow up with his mum. So yeah, I was definitely attracted to that. Attracted, you know, he wanted someone to look after him. He's very attractive physically, kind Mm. of. He's got a really big heart. He's a really, yeah, he's a very gregarious, you know, engaging type person. But he's also got, like, a dark side. So which kind of became more clear the longer I spent with him. Not physical violent, but very verbally aggressive. Can put on, like, an aggressive stance, you know, and his temper can go. And once it's gone, it's like, you can't. Do you anything about Do you it. Do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. I'd kind of just been on holiday and was like, I'm going to end this relationship, that's it. And came back and got pregnant or found out I was pregnant and was like, okay. I didn't want to go through the pregnancy on my
0: own. Um, Do you think it was also, you were thinking... Oh, my age, Absolutely. you know, with my kids, I was like, oh, I better hurry up. Yeah.
5: yeah, I was like, I might not get the chance again. You know, I can't wait for this perfect person to come. You know, it hasn't happened. Is it going to happen? But saying that I was never like one of those people who is desperate to have kids. I was kind of, I, I was like, I'm OK. If You know, everyone's like, you'd be a great mom. You really should have kids. When I was younger, I imagined getting married at like 25,
0: having four kids, never working. I was in kind of la la land. Like I thought life was a fairy tale. They stayed together throughout the pregnancy and things started to deteriorate in the relationship. But yeah, there was definitely a divide in like what he was doing. And I can see, I'm like, yeah, you need your freedom.
5: You need to go out and hang out with your mates and things. Whereas I want to be more at home, getting things ready. And we didn't have money, you know, there was no money to go out and do stuff. And he doesn't like going to the pub or to me, you know, so galleries or things that I might enjoy doing. It's not really his cup of tea. Yeah. He'd rather like be fixing cars and And I think before I got pregnant, I was happy to kind of try and make him happy. But then it was like, as soon as you're having another baby, everything kind of changed. And I was like, I knew when I was pregnant, I'm not going to have the energy to look after him and a baby.
0: When the baby was born, he contracted meningitis at two weeks old. He was in the hospital for a long time and Chloe's partner wasn't able to deal with it and sort of ran away from the situation. Thankfully, the baby recovered and is now fit and healthy. I actually went to see a
5: shaman in the end I knew that I needed to end the relationship but I was just really struggling to do it you know it kind of stopped and we did a big like cord cutting I don't know if you know anything about shamanism but so much you know the idea is that we have these kind of psychic cords between ourselves and Mm. the people that we meet and the relationships that we had it might be things from the past that we've been together in the past or the present you know whatever it is but there's something going on and Sometimes you need to really physically cut those cords of energy to actually separate from the person, to be like, I've learned this lesson, whatever it is. So it's a sort of um, symbolic... It's a really symbolic <clears throat> thing of like, I want this to end, I need to be, you know, because we're so connected, to
0: finish that connection, make it easier in the kind mm. of physical world. She came home emboldened, saw something dodgy on his phone and told him, you've got to go, take your stuff. I'm going out. The baby was 10 months old at the time. And I went to Dalston Library.
5: I remember I've got photos mm. of the day, you know, kind of hang out, did like a library session, came back three hours later and, yeah, he'd gone. Ultimately, it was like relief. It was like, OK, yeah, I've done it, you know. It's really scary, you know, I didn't want to be a single parent. It wasn't the dream, but I was just like, at
0: least now, yeah, just, OK, it's up to me
5: now. I can do things my way.
0: The father of her son has remained involved in the child's life and has made regular maintenance payments. Chloe has always breastfed their son. He's never had a bottle.
5: Uh, you know, I guess it is a bit of control on my part. I also was like, because he's so unreliable with time, he'd disappear for hours and wouldn't come back and I'd get a screaming baby back because he's hungry mm. and it was just, that would really stress me out. When he's talking and walking, it's going to be easier and the older Abby has
0: got, the, I think the better their relationship has become because okay. of that. Chloe describes co-parenting as being very hard. It's been difficult to get her partner to commit to definite days each week, as his job is always changing. So Chloe ended up getting a childminder. So now it works, and now I've got a childminder three days a week. But
5: yeah, I mean, yes, he comes over like late at like seven thirty. When you're bedtime. about to, go to bed, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's I, it drives me mad. I he I can't go out. You know, he wants me to be here at the same time. So it's still like having two kids. He'll come and, like, lie on the floor. He'll be like, I'm hungry. Or, like, you know, I still love you. Oh, I'm just like, oh, my God. It works both ways because sometimes I'm like, I'm really lucky that he's not demanding to have Savvy three and a half days a week and have him overnight because that would have destroyed me, I think, actually. I couldn't have done it. And
0: I really He doesn't have him so, overnight?
5: No, he's never been overnight with anyone. We still right. co sleep. We still breastfeed. Wow. I'm totally sleep deprived because he still doesn't sleep through the night. I need to change that, I think. But yeah, so no, he's never had him overnight, but he's not particularly bothered. He can handle a couple of hours and then it's like, you know, have him back now. Not because
0: he doesn't love him, but he just finds it hard. But it's hard. It's like, well, yeah, grow up. It's hard, you mm. know? Chloe's parents have a good relationship with her son now, but were not so supportive when she got pregnant.
5: When I got pregnant, they were really unhappy kept asking me, are you going to keep it? Are you going to keep it now if I get upset or complain about stuff? They're like, well, you knew what you were getting yourself into. You decided to have him. There's definitely, yeah, it's hard. But they're like, you know, you're so lucky. You're such a great mom. He's really happy. He's a great kid. So yeah. And they're like, wow,
0: what did you expect?
5: There's quite a lot of judgment.
0: While finances and co-parenting are difficult to deal with and manage, what really takes its toll on Chloe is the lack of time for herself. It's the hardest thing. I'm someone that I need time on my own.
5: Like, I've always been that person that needs to shut themselves away or have, like, a day in bed, you know, when I'm tired, not speak to anyone, go on, like, a three-day yoga retreat. And so, yeah, not having that is really hard. I think it's really difficult to understand unless you're in it, like, 24-7. You know, just when you just know I'm the one that's going to have to get him up in the morning. I've got to get him dressed to work on t- I've got to get myself dressed and to work on time. I can't be, you know, I've got to make sure I'm on time, that I pick him up. Just that constant, you're always thinking about someone
0: else. Despite the exhaustion and relentlessness, when Chloe talks about her son, she lights up. He's really like happy and exuberant and
5: joyful. And when I kind of look at Zavi and I see, I feel like his like mission in life is to bring love to mm. everyone. Like everyone loves him. And I feel like he's really brought me closer to my family. You know, he just seems to kind of bring people together, which is it's amazing, really. Mm.
0: Chloe is currently in the process of starting a business helping new mums and meets once a month with the Gingerbread Peer Support Group in her area, one of 89 similar groups across the UK, providing a space for single-parent families to get together, meet new people and share experiences. In the worst
5: parts of single parenting, I've thought I would not wish this on my worst enemy. It's the hardest job you can do. And I think it does feel really unnatural. And I have thought that. But then... I also think you know it's a blessing, you know, these child these children they came into our world for a reason. And I feel that having Zavi and being a single mum has taught me to look after myself more than anything could have done, and that's a massive
0: positive thing for my life. You've been listening to Life on the Edge. Thanks to Sumi and Faye from Gingerbread and Chloe, Stephanie, Sarah and Emily for sharing their stories. Thanks also to Matthew Schmoll who helped with reaching out to interviewees for us. And thanks to you for listening. Please take a second to rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this programme and want to know who to get in touch with for help, there are a number of organisations listed in the show notes. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at podcast at iceandfire.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at iceandfireuk. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.